good afternoon all and welcome back to another edition of Hans's Protocol Builders podcast. As always, we hope for the podcast to give founders, builders and operators in Web3 actionable tips on building and growing dApps and protocols uh, from the most experienced and impressive people in the space. Uh, very glad to be joined today by Kareem Kaya. Uh, Kareem is the founder and CEO of First Batch, a proof of interest protocol uh, that allows people to earn from their attestable interests, uh, which a distinguished mutual friend of ours has described as the most advanced identity-focused protocol that he'd come across in Web3. Uh, Kareem, the first thing I'll ask of you is just to provide a bit of a deeper breakdown as to what First Batch does uh, and how it was that you ended up getting involved in the identity space. How are you, by the way? I forgot to ask. I'm great. Thank you, Archie. By the way, thank you for the opportunity. It is great talking with you. And your friend is really kind. We are not that big of a deal, but we want to try some niches, unique problems. So what First Batch is... First batch give you the power of consensus-driven AIs. And these AIs can understand your Web2 social data, your off-chain interests, and make them on-chain available and provable with ZK technology. So this is what first batch is in the most fundamental sense. And how I came to this first batch is I have been working on contextualizing the Web2 social graphs since 2015. My CTO, first batch, and I, we have built a prior, prior Web2 uh, startup. And in there, we were working on to making Twitter data available to Reddit, Reddit to TikTok, TikTok to Google, etc. And when we were working on it, well, what we were doing is we were creating a business intelligence and data availability and forecasting from the data of synonymous communities. So no one was talking about communities around 2016, but we were understanding the web, uh, web two communities are getting around. And when we were doing this business in uh, early 2020, Amir and I, we saw that the Web3 communities are coming really fast. So we, we look at their data and then we said that, hey, it is all right. It is a great to run a B2B business. We scale our team to 37. We have well, like 45 plus 14,500 um, companies in our portfolio. But the thing is, we, we are really ambitious and we saw a potential that we can create a better protocol, a better business with a better purpose. So then we started to work on the wallet data what we can complement with these off-chain data to wallet data and different kind of technology stack. And here we are working on first batch ZK protocol. Yeah, and aren't, aren't we glad you're doing it as well? Um, you, you use the word attestations a lot in terms of the actual function of first batch. Could you just describe maybe what it is that, say, distinguishes and differentiates, say, social attestations from the social graph um, and sort of why that distinction is important? Yeah, a great question. So the thing is, we act as an intermediate that we onboard your off-chain data to your own computer. So all of the data that we generated for you or the identity that we generated runs on clients on our communities and users side. So within this, we give the power of users to attestate themselves to any decentralized application runs on first batch environment, runs first batch infrastructure. So the term attestation is coming from the term that the sovereignty of the data. So you own the data of who you are, your interests, your personas, your personas in Reddit, TikTok, in the near future, in last protocol on CyberConnect. So within this, you can attestate yourself into any different centralized application or runtime. So you don't want to wait for like claim-based attestations or getting these data one by one. By using first batch, you can attestate hundreds of data points instantly. So we create a really easy UX for our users a really easy utility for the centralized applications building on first batch. Yeah, so just just to contextualize that for the listeners, can you sort of break that down in terms of 
how it might work from a user flows perspective. So say I'm Archie and I enjoy surfing. Where does where does the attestations fill in there? Got it. So you are Archie and let's say you are really interacting with the surfing communities on Reddit and Twitter. And first batch AI uh, understand that and generates your surf surfing persona and your niche surf interests. And what what we do is uh, we just giving uh, getting an auth token from users, just an authorization on these web two socials, and then our persona detection AI stack works, and then we generate these attestations on your front end. So within this, it is all, all we have, we just generated by the snarks. They are on chain provable and all the sovereignty on the user ends. So you have your personas, interests, you have a soul bone NFT and within the, uh, it is non-transferable. And as you understand, the data is not publicly available. We pr uh, protect it in a privacy first manner with the Renault proof technologies. And then when you have your personas and interests as a user, so what I'm going to do with it, right? And what you, what we do is as a first batch, we navigate users to interest gates. So when you come to landing page or first batch, we are going to release it within a one and a half months. There's going to be all the dApps and all the interests and persona gates are built on these dApps. What I mean by that is, let's think about, let's say, Project Galaxy. There are hundreds of credential campaigns, hundreds of token gates on Project Galaxy, but first batch and Project Galaxy works on building an interest and persona and token gate. So not just token gated, but there are interests and persona gated for more efficiency, better UX, better incentivization, et cetera. So as a user with the SPT and the attestations that you have, you can come into first batch interest gate, look at it, oh, my persona is fitting with this one. I want to go there through myself to earn incentive rewards or getting a better UX or what the protocol made up for you. So this is the flow of the first batch. Yeah, interesting. And you, you, briefly, you briefly mentioned uh, earlier that you'd worked on an AI startup previously. Mm -hmm. Um, that had attracted uh, a very impressive catalog of Fortune 500 companies. Could you maybe just dive in a bit as to how AI fits into the first batch model? Yeah, great question. So our expertise is coming from two main domains. The first one is the graph technologies and the second one is natural language processing. So what we were doing before prior first batches, we were building language models on top of graph models. So within this, we can't, well, why we are doing this? Because we are constantly labeling the communities, the groups that are aligning uh, socially. So within this, because each community is aligned by niche interests, right? There are communities that are getting together for crypto, for Solana, Ethereum, Avalanche, for surfing, for hiking. So within the, these models that we build, we can understand what, what, or what these communities are getting together with, what binds them. And then within the graph technologies that we have is, we can calculate users' involvements and direct and indirect relationship to these communities. So since 2016, we were working on these kind of tech stacks. And yeah, this is how AI is coming on the first batch. The, probably the most, most interesting thing and quite, quite linked into what you were saying there, like the most interesting thing I discovered when I was first discovering first batch was that the idea of a recommendation engine that doesn't require owning your personal data. Um, would you be able to sort of elaborate on that a bit and what that means and its significance? Yeah, great question. So where the, the thesis that we have is like in, in, in state of art right now, lots of protocols, decentralized items protocols, which we are uh, partnership and collabing with, 
are, are working on a technology that we call claim-based attestations. So users are claiming themselves one by one by one, and there has to be hundreds of different data points, resources. It is really like, it, it can take up to years. So what our thesis is, hey guys, social network, centralized and decentralized social network, and in the near future, we hope just decentralized social networks are re really um, insightful resources. If you can analyze them accordingly, by using one, two, or three of them, you can understand lots of things about a person, uh, about a unique, genuine person. So within this, what we have is, what our, in our roadmap is, first back, once take things from using decentralized networks for users to create value, and then when the centralized social networks, like last protocol, like DBank, like CyberConnect, like environment scale, we want to, we are going to uh, generate AI models on these environments to extract value. So what, what I'm talking about this technical stuff is like you, as a person, you are interacting with multiple socials, right? So yeah. by just interacting with multiple socials and using first batch on runtime, you will generate your own interest graphs without uh, and recommendation systems without sharing your data with first batch, with third parties, with anyone. So our, our, our goal is want to be each person to be their own recommendation system, each person to have these interest data, all the sovereignty and all the financial incentives around it. So this is our approach. Yeah. And then I guess sort of the interesting follow on question from that, now that these sort of decentralized social apps, like you're mentioning Lens and so on, don't own your data, is that it gives users the ability to sort of reclaim that asset. Um, which has so often been spoken about in the last few years as, you know, the most valuable asset in the world overtaking oil. What sort of, what's the sort of first batch method for allowing users to recapture, say, the monetary value um, of their data? Um, and and, and how, is it, how is it actually made to feasibly work? Got it. So in high level, the first batch ecosystem is this. We have first batch API as an intermediate. We have the dApps. DAOs, brands, anyone who wants to utilize first batch, our customers and partners, and also users of our own platform. So how we do that is we are creating DAP specific smart contracts. Each DAP on first batch environments have a specific smart contract. Why? Because when as a user, you want to interact with a specific DAP's interest gates, you are getting incentivized automatically by these smart contracts. So the thing is first batch gives users a multiple DAP and multiple interest gate ecosystem. So you can navigate through every day between gates to gates. And with your proofs, you earn incentives, rewards, and better UX and different kind of things. And the second part is you are earning, are earning batch token with it, which is great. And there's a second layer. So if you prove your attestations and is intact with what DAP is looking for, there are more incentives, rewards, and better things for yourselves by these platforms as well. So there's two layers of incentives. And what first batch is pushing for um, holders of its token as a users, we are saying that if you hold batch token in certain amounts, you can use these attestations as sole bound token in all of the first batch ecosystem. So if you hold more, you're interacting with more and you are capturing more value. This is like in the high level, what our user tokenomics is. Yeah, it's a really impressive, comprehensive effort. And I think it's solving sort of like one of the biggest pain points uh, of the Web2 era. I'll let you expand because I think, I believe you mentioned it in that answer, but sort of what other utilities are you envisioning? Yeah. So the utilities are driven by the case study. So if you don't mind, I want, I want to go from case by case. 
the first case that would like toolkit that let's say we have is the proof of interest airdrops. So within the airdrops, what we have is there, there are lots of symbols, as you know, and the second layer, we have a different problem. The problem is we don't understand this the protocols doesn't understand the pseudonymous users. So within first batch, we want to solve these two problems at once. So with first batch infrastructure, we can segment the interests of hundreds of thousands of users in minutes. And then we aggregate these proofs, so decentralized applications, 10 targets, uh, specific attestations, and specific personal levels. So within this, we believe it will be lead to better market making and better growth. And the second utility is coming from, but by having this batch token and SPT is navigating through the metaverse. Because as the onboarding side on the metaverse is a bit prob problematic because as a user, you don't know which places are the best for you, which places aligning with your interests and persona. So with first batch, we navigate users in the best places on the central and sandbox. And by creating these data illiteracy with the users, and of course with users' consent, by updating these proofs, we, we are seeing that, hey, we are segmenting these labs. And if there's a specific land on sandbox, let's say, we, are, we can say that F1 fans are inhabiting this land. So within this, if we want the mass adoption on the metaverse side, the Fortune 500, the Web2 companies, the giants have to onboard, right? But these guys are looking for like really crucial data points. First batch and its users, we want to create these data elements for these guys. And we have different kinds of utilities as well. If you are in a DAO, and if you want to have a better governance, reducing the symbols and so, uh, reducing the centralized aligning groups, by proving you are not aligned with a civil group, then we can have a better governance and also governance incentives, et cetera. So first batch, like in the most fundamental sense, if there's an edit point in centralized web needs and calculating the social alignments, first batch can provide value to different protocols. Yeah, and like, and like you mentioned, right, with token gating and with sort of like interest mapping, I'll call it. I'm sure it's not the, the correct technical term. There's an incentive there for like your Fortune 500 companies uh, and other outside parties looking to get involved in token gating and all that kind of stuff. It gives them an incentive to bring Web2 users on. Do you sort of see First Batch as playing a significant role in driving uh, adoption among Web2 users who might not have normally considered like dApps or? Yeah, great question. So the thing is, uh, there is two yeah, use cases of first batch. The first one is what we are doing is we are generating instant identities as an infrastructure. So the centralized identity protocols and different dApps can use us to segment their own bases and to interact with them in a data-driven way. So this is the first mission of first batch, what we have in last traction points. But the second part is your right. Because what we are doing is we are creating a really well, easy user acquisition from any Web2 social network. And while doing it, we are creating an incentive and a UX mechanisms for your users and also a data availability and data-driven interactions for the protocols. So we have right now four different protocols using our SDKs, which uh, are using uh, as a user requisitions from Web2 social platforms and to onboard these users with the utilities that I talked about. So you are right, but right now, to be honest, like 80, 85% of case studies that we are getting from our APIs and SDKs are web three specific problems about attestations, identity generation, et cetera. But we believe that, especially uh, in a bull market, uh, more web two guys are onboarding in the web three. First batch is going to have a different kind of gating and easy onboarding mechanisms. Yeah. Around web three. Yeah. Yeah. On, on that, uh, this is something that quite fascinates me for someone like yourself who 
is by proxy almost somewhat of a service provider to a lot of DAPs and DAOs, right? Do you find that during a bear market, it's harder developing partnerships than in a bull market where you might have a larger mass of potential partners? Or how have you viewed sort of uh, BD and partnership building in this bear market? Yeah, it's an amazing question. So uh, the thing is, uh, in beer markets, everyone is focusing more on efficiency in every domain, right? In any vertical. So uh, with first batch, what we are saying is it is on runtime. It is really efficient. You don't need any time, any inefficient elements, etc. You can use it. You can test it. If you don't like it, you can quit. And the, the beautiful thing is our test environments is driven by lots of different toolkits. So as a protocol, you are coming to first batch and you are saying that, hey, I can use this or I can use that interest airdrops, enriching social alignments, data calculation, et cetera. So when right now in the beer market, there are lots of space for testing. <laughs> so yeah. lots of apps are because they are, no one is doing a lot of marketing. Everybody is trying to build products, right? Everyone wants to create their own healthy environments for the next bull markets. So they're also looking for the best partners to run on the long term. So we, within our testnet and uh, early adopters, uh, we, we did really well. Right now we have 34 dApps are using first batch SDKs and APIs. The beer market was pretty good for in our end because everybody, they, they were focusing on marketing, hypergrowth, etc. But right now everybody is looking for efficiency and long-term partnership. So as an infrastructure who, are, who is doing something, creating a data availability, we believe that it is a beneficiary for us. Yeah, and then I guess on on the more positive flip side, as it were, like if you were to enter a bull market, what are the sort of the most ambitious sort of vision that you have for first batch? So if if you end up partnering with every DAP and every DAO, what kind of role does does first batch end up playing in the ecosystem? Yeah, amazing question again. So the thing is, what our research team are working on is we want to create multiple, multiple purpose AIs that not just using this, these web to socials that are good, we believe that is a great starting point, but using different kind of da- off chain data and make them on chain available with CK proofs. Right now, our AI team is working on different kind of data sets and different kind of AIs that can generate value. So what is our long-term goal with the, within the bull market is we want to be a tech stack that as a user or as a dApp, if you want to onboard a data of chain data from uh, any platform, you can use first batch AIs, consensus-driven AIs, and onboard data with ease, fast, and a scalable way. So we want to be this uh, utility-driven bridge that uh, um, merged off-chain and then on-chain in a unique way. So this is a, what we are trying to build. And in the bull market, we also we are going to get the returns in scalability and different kind of aspects. Yeah, it, it, it is nothing short of ambitious. It is a really impressive vision. Um, now that we've sort of gone like to where you want to end up, maybe like back to the beginning again. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure throughout the 20 minutes that we've been recording this podcast, for people who might not have been familiar with Web3, you must have introduced a whole heap of new new terms and new concepts. For yourself coming from an AI background, where did you find that the steepest learning curves were um, when you started developing and building in Web3? Yeah, great question. So the stupid curves, it came from an cri- economic crisis. <laughs> so uh, I, I have Turkish roots. And right now the country that uh, I live in and my family lives in has some really deep financial crisis. What I'm talking about is 
it pushes lots of different people, entrepreneurs as well, into really interesting points. So if the inflations and different kind of things are going really, really bad, you have to push through to different environments. You have to push through different opportunities and you have to do it really fast. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the thing that uh, it generates an environment on third like it, and most of entrepreneurs, they took the fastest path and most of them right now are not running their startups. So the thing is, with the, the, the first deep curve that I interacted was pro three years prior. It was like that. Everybody was talking about AI in early 2017s and 16s. And but okay, AI is great. There are tons of open source model. You can use it. And when you train your first data and you feel like, oh my God, I'm doing the best. It is 98% accuracy. So it is the best model. But to be honest, it is like, like it. So, but as a, as a, just a person, as a two entrepreneurs with my co-founder, you, we don't have these big data sets. So this pushed us to work on unsupervised learning, creating high scalable models without having most of the data. So we run thousands of models. We created projects, some of them scaled great, some of them doesn't. So we learned a lot. So it was really hard, but we, we were ambitious. We grind and grind. We didn't give up. And in, in three and a half years, we generated a really valuable know-how. Maybe it can be generated in seven, eight years because we work like seven days a week, 12 days an hour. So it was, we were really patient, right? We were building a startup. We were working on AI and we find our domain for us. And the skill set is it, it, the technical model is pretty, pretty dense. It was great. We feeling great because we were using a different kind of mathematical approach. So what, what the first example is when we came to these economic crisis environments, when everybody's tried to do fast-based thing, we said, we looked, we analyzed, and we saw long-term building roads. So uh, what we, and what with the increase with Web3, uh, the things that I've talked about in the Web2 communities, the synonymous communities, et cetera, I'm going to say that, so this is the best time. <laughs> so this is the best time in our life. Let's, let's take a risk and let's get together the two skill set that we invested in the last five years. And within these like bad e economic ecosystem, let's build uh, from it with the great developers that are looking for job and then build it on global. So we worked on first batch around 11 to 12 months and we, we bootstrapped it that uh, we just have a team of uh, five with really good senior engineers who believed in us. And afterwards, we started the fundraise and right now first batch team is 24. We have working with lots of dApps. So the first steep curve was like some opportunities seems better, but we, we looked, we worked, we built, and we were a bit patient and we believed what we were building. So I believe belief, patience, and hard work are like, it is all the same, right? Michael Jordan is talking about it in the <laughs> last dance. I'm not talking about it here. So yeah, I believe they are really fundamental in building. Yeah. Nice comparison. Not a bad one to have. So obviously going back to the, the thing about teams, you obviously co-founding uh, with your cousin who you've previously done business with before, uh, with the AI startup that we've mentioned. How, how is that working with family and what, what is it that's convinced you to stick together for so long? Yeah, it's great. So the, the thing is, is our child, because we were really close and the things that we were interested in were always similar. We were interested in basketball. We were interested in Kobe, Michael Burton. We were interested in music. We were interested in playing jazz, playing the bass, playing the guitar. And then he went from the technical side and I went from the business side. But it was like our, our social uh, interests are always aligned. So when uh, we were always talking and he was doing his own business and I was trying to do my own business and we, uh, I, I got an idea, I shared with him 
and he gave me really um, important feedbacks. And then we say that, hey, why, why, why we don't try? Because since our childhood, we, we did lots of things, we built lots of things, and maybe it can create a great synergy and great impact. And we started, and since then, we didn't look back. <laughs> and this, uh, the chemistry that we have since our childhood is, yeah, coming with lots of benefits. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I know a lot of people um, who complain about doing business with family, so I'm glad it's worked out so well for you. Um, and it, it does sound like a really strong match. So that's the first two members of the team. You mentioned that you've now got a headcount of 24. How'd you go about scaling from two or three to 24 at such a rapid pace? And sort of what was the logic behind that? Yeah. So uh, I, I want to mention our third co-founder, Efe, as well. So yeah. Efe, uh, he was in crypto since 2016, and Efe is like whole crypto guy. And he, he built one of the YDG, Sabdeos, Troy DG. And also Efe is not just a builder, and he was the expert on his own strategies on guilds and etc. FA is also a cost and content creator. FA, was, FA is one of the best known influencers around Europe, Turkey, and MENA region. And I believe last year he was Binance Influencer of the Year. He's a big deal. <laughs> so when we onboarded FA and well, he tested our product, he talked with our investors, et cetera. And yeah, we say that, all right, we did, FA was really important in our end because uh, a guy who knows the guild, who knows the e DeFi and GameFi ecosystems can bring lots of effects on the networking side, on strategy side, et cetera. So uh, then we looked for some different executives who were working on the ZK side. So we talked with ex-Starkware guys, we talked with ZK VM guys on the different kind of projects. But then we uh, find our solution on Academy, <laughs> on Oxford and the Moth University. So we, we onboarded two professors we, who were working on us at Gate, uh, on the ZK research side. And then we say that, hey, we have the AI skill set, we have the networking skill set around Web3 and we have the expertise ZK, uh, on ZK. So then we, we, we created a structure for our company, how we want to build, who we need. And then we started to onboard new people from lots of different, we have people from, from States, from Portugal, from Turkey, from Asia. And what we were doing is we were looking for guys who, who, who wants to test our thesis and give uh, lots of negative feedbacks because it, it will push us to better, right? So we, we find some hard-edged guys who have their own unique ideas. And right now we believe that Perth Bash is a really unorthodox team where, because everybody is, has different ideas. Everybody has a, oh, their own thesis in First Batch on the ecosystem. So the collaboration and the democracy on first, uh, in First Batch creates the outputs, but there are lots of uh, negotiations, lots of discussions. So we love it. But we are building an environment that is open that uh, requires constant feedbacks and constant developing and building. But yeah, we believe that uh, most of our team members really believes in our thesis and we are building it with uh, joy. Yeah, I, I, it's, it, it sounds like a very healthy thing uh, to be going out seeking that feedback and constantly be a living idea. And one thing that, that impressed me about you when we were talking earlier was you mentioned that you spend... Not equal, but you spend parts of the year in all of Lisbon, Austin, and Turkey to reflect where the team is. Um, would you be able to reflect a bit on, on how that's been, like whether the work's different in each of the three environments or sort of any, any other reflections on, on the sort of your, your global work life at the moment? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's great. So the thing is, they are completely different. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the first part is Istanbul, uh, where I came from. So Istanbul is, uh, is a beautiful city, but with 27 million people. So it is really crowded. 
traffic, lots of people from everywhere. So it is all chaos, but it, it chaos drives you know in a different way. But and there's a really like really solid developer, special developer ecosystem of first batch. There are get, gatherings, meetings every weekends, and we are interacting with the community, and we love it. The second part is Lisbon because. At Lisbon, I believe it is one of the, like, maybe the main driver of blockchain in, in Europe because there are tons of communities, tons of guides and lots of events. So I'm going to attend to four events within the next two months. So Lisbon, it is more laid back, beautiful sun, surfers, <laughs> beautiful streets. But in the, in the co-working space, in the offices, it is really like 15, 20 hour working guys working on the most interesting ideas on blockchain. And the community, all of the Europe community is getting together around Lisbon for two to three months. But I don't want to miss that. And I'll always go there, interact with guys, having new ideas, talking with our ecosystems and potential partners. And states in Austin, Texas, it is a completely different story. Uh, we have a, a small office in Austin and we have a, two team members in Austin. I'm just going there and coming there. But Austin, Texas, it is like, a, like a, everything is huge, right? The companies, the startups. Infrastructures, they are huge. The teams are huge. So it is completely different. So you, well, before going for Austin, you have to work your ass off. <laughs> you have to your DD. And when you go there, if you're three weeks, six weeks, uh, I, I try my best to have my schedule full to interact with one of the best investors, builders around the world, to interact with guys, getting their feedbacks, and maybe looking for partnership and collaboration opportunities. But it is always the interacting with communities, but the, the three environments, they are completely opposite. So I have to, I'm trying to add up myself and my team. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's something that has, I think, shone through uh, while, while we've been on, on this podcast, right, is that you're obviously a big advocate for collaboration and hearing others' ideas. Um, you've obviously fully committed to first batch at the moment. But spending so much time around the ecosystem, you must have seen some other stuff that you found fascinating. Are there, are there any other sort of trends or projects that you're seeing at the moment that you think are sort of going to be driving the next year or so in the ecosystem or anything else that really yeah. excites you? Yeah, great question. So the first project that in my mind is for working on the knowledge proofs and Solbon tokens, which is Sysmo, uh, which is built by X, uh, Aoi guys, Contest guys, which, which has a great team. We love to talk with these guys. So what Sismo is doing is they are, they have on-chain attestators. So what they're doing is they are building a ZK SPT infrastructure for users to attestate, uh, their, 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 their claims, uh, with like, say, if you join to a specific DAO, uh, if you have DC or et cetera. So, but their infrastructure and architecture, I don't want to go to te technically deep, but it's beautiful. It is really smartly designed and they are, they are really uh, interacting with lots of different dApps and they are building a great ecosystem. So I believe Sysma on, on chain SPT and ZK side is going to be the, one of the most interesting projects that we can, uh, that we will see. And I have lots of projects in my mind, but the second one I want to mention, uh, is the project galaxy. And why? Because Project Galaxy is did, did something really interesting. Because as you know, who has the millions of users, the exchanges, the centralized exchanges, the swaps, etc. But as a credential, like as an identity network, these guys have around four and a half, five millions of users. So it is really interesting. But I believe for what they did, create an environment for centralized identity. So what, why we, today we are talking, lots, we are hearing lots of things about centralized identity rights. So the thing is, I believe that the project, what Project Galaxy did on the credential side, on the campaign, the centralized campaign side, 
uh, creating an environment for different kind of decentralized end protocols to build on and lots of different retail and private investors to believe in there's a space for decentralized identity and millions can react in months. So I believe these two projects are working on uh, similar problems on a different angles are going to be my uh, picks to watch in 2023. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for that. Sh- shout out to those two as well. Uh, Project Galaxy and Sisma. Um, the, the thing that is fascinating about Soulbound tokens, right, is that you have one, uh, I guess, completely non-transactable token of identity. Do you think that sort of predicates uh, a winner-takes-all environment? So say like if, if we enter a, a healthy regulatory environment, governments want to impose sort of top-down identity um, they will control that? Or do you think people, like there can be multiple providers of decentralized identity, if that makes sense? Yeah, a great question. So as an infrastructure, we are bullish on the multiple one. Why? Because we believe that it is going to be multiple because there's going to be KYC-based, they are going to be demographics-based, they're going to be um, free social-based um, centralized identity protocols. And we want, we want this ecosystem to flourish because as a first batch, we are saying that, hey, any decentralized applica- application that are working on decentralized identity, you can work with us because we give you a specific AIs that can have be- uh, better efficiency on your own environment. So they are our partners. So when we want this ecosystem to really flourish. And the second thing is, it is really hard to capture users, like any data of a user. It is nearly impossible. No one can does that. And I believe it is a bit centralized approach. So my, my belief is it is going to be vertical specific centralized identity protocol. There are going to be identity protocols who are going to have great data availability, let's say on influencers. There are going to be great identity protocols who are going to give great data availability for retail investors. And then we are going to have different kind of categories as well. Who are going to have like us off-chain interests and off-chain personas, on-chain personas and on-chain DAO contributions. KYCs, passports, age, ethnicity, et cetera, which I don't like, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But of course, regular, regular things can yeah, ca- want, want to capture these data. So I believe this is going to be a really decentralized ecosystem. And I don't think it is going to be win- wins, uh, one winners and it's going to be multiple winners, uh, which we, I believe, are going to collaborate with each other, not compete. There must, there must be dealing in identity a lot of those philosophical challenges, like you mentioned with ethnicity. Is that something you spend a lot of your time in sort of determining what does and doesn't constitute someone's identity or should or shouldn't? Yeah. So Web3 is a place for anonymity and pseudonymity, and I don't want regulators or centralized approach want to ruin it. So uh, because how we can ruin it is as I'm an anonymous entity on, on lots of different protocols. So no one knows my ethnicity. No one knows my age, my face. I don't want to show it. And, but I'm, I'm here because I, I'm supplying interesting content. I'm interacting with the communities. I have interests and ideas, which makes me a unique persona. So I believe that, and this is the things that makes you a human unique. Everyone has nations, ethnicity, but that this doesn't define you. What defines you is who you are, how you talk, your interests. And, and, and I believe the approach of Web3 right now, what we have is really helpful on the social side, on like you know, human to human relations side. So or the regulatory part and of course, like increased uh, demand on KYC, it can affect and it can negatively affect these aspects. 
So we want to be advocates for, hey, there are different ways. We don't need KYC. We don't want to share users' privacy first data, their genders, their ethnicities. But we don't need that. There are different ways of interests of on-chain SPT infrastructure like Sysmo. And by using these protocols, you can have the same efficiency, security, and scalability without ruining users' privacy first data points. So we are advocate of this. And it is, it is not easy because we are fighting with, like everyone is fighting with who believes in it, with nation states, with different kind of um, regularity environments. But yeah, we will see and I hope uh, it will be the best for the ecosystem. Yeah, sorry, this is the last philosophical question I'm going to ask. <laughs> um, but I, th- I think you're fascinating to talk to about it. Do you have a particular view on the role of nation states and identity and particularly decentralized identity? Yeah, great question. So it comes uh, from the first part is KYC part. If we share our privacy first data, so if there is a centralized node providers, centralized front frontend providers, our data is going to be shared with the third parties. So then it is all web two's own environments itself with a different kind of technology. We don't want that. So nation states uh, is going to demand these hard KYCs, hard verification processes, and different kind of things from any decentralized application. So what we have with Tornado Cash is uh, really sad because a developer just built uh, Tornado Cash technology, got arrested on, on Netherlands, and we don't want that because you can build things that are open source that can be used by anyone in the world, and you you, you don't have uh, any kind of regulatory risk of doing this. If we have this, any protocol who are working on DeFi, Central Identity, going to have some risks on their own personal life and on the institutional part. So nation states, when they are creating these regularity ecosystems, I believe they have to have a second aspect, which is a centralized aspect. So they have to, they are asking how we can restrict this, how can we can restrict that. But I believe they have to ask how we can create a great environment that builders can build without stress, without any risk, but also it is secure for the detailing measures. So I know it is impossible to have non-regular regulation on crypto, we are going to have some, but when we are having some, I hope that we are going to have multiple voices, both from the decentralized end as well. So we can build an environment on the decentralized identity that you don't have the institutional regularity or personal risks for builders and developers because the talent is everything. You know, like if we want to have a great environment, we, have, we want to have great developers and builders. So we want to um, uh, attract these guys saying that, hey guys, there's no risk. It is all beautiful. So let's build. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we've got people like you working on the future of identity, Kareem. I think they're, they're very nuanced takes, as I mentioned earlier. Um, now now going to bring you down into some of the silly stuff. And this is something I like to do uh, when, when I finish with all my guests. And that is to ask you uh, for one unpopular movie or book recommendation. <laughs> all right. So... Uh... Can I have like one book and one movie? Is that right? Perfect. Even better. <laughs> okay. Great. So uh, I'm a guy like uh, I have few personas. Everyone has few personas. My uh, blockchain and crypto persona, you get it. I'm building on decentralized identity. But my second persona is interesting, completely opposite. I'm really interested in slow paced things like philosophy, like literature, and like art movies. So I'm really into it. I'm, I'm, I want to, I love to read. I, I love to yeah, listen and I love to watch. So the first movie that is going to be by Bergman, uh, he's a Swedish film producer. He's really famous and he had lots of movies. 
But the one movie uh, that everyone knows, but I believe there are really uh, crucial values in it, is the Persona. The Persona is one of my favorite movies, and I I, I, lo- I learned a, a lot from it. I have some uh, similar history backgrounds uh, with one one character in the movie, so I love it. So this is the movie that I love. The second part is is going. I don't want to be too specific again, so it is going to be really known uh, uh, literature and American literature. Herman Melville. I love Herman Melville, and one of his uh, books. Fear and ingabilities. And uh, the beautiful thing is, when, when I was reading the book, I had a really similar uh, relationship, uh, dilemma with the world, with lots of things, uh, with the objects and with uh, partners. So the, the book t- uh, taught me a lot. Uh, it navigated me through my problems. So it's all go- always going to be a go-to book for myself. If I have a problem with anything, the book is talking about like solving problems in a really free spirit and feeling anything and be blessed by anything so yeah there's a two book two, one movie and my book i always go yeah i was gonna uh, when you when you recommended uh the movie i was gonna say i can't think of anyone more ironic to have alter egos or multiple identities i find that quite funny um that, that very on brand to be picking uh the persona um anyway it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on kareem uh i've definitely learned a lot uh hopefully listeners have and um, all the best in your continued work on First Batch. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Archie, and the question. It was great. And I hope you the best with the podcast. And yeah. Thanks, Kareem. Thanks so much for listening to that latest episode of Hands' Protocol Weekly. I deeply hope you enjoyed it. If you want to stay up to date with our podcast every week, follow the firm or myself on Twitter at hands underscore network or at AHR Whitford. Even better, Uh, If you're a best case scenario where this episode has motivated you to start your own protocol, I'd recommend heading to our website at hansa.network and reaching out to the Accelerator Investments team through our founder forms there. I've been your host, Archie Whitford. Thanks for tuning in and look forward to next time.